over the last few weeks called We Are Restored. It's about our mission and our culture. So essentially what it is, we are on this journey together of following Christ. And that's our mission. Like, what does it look like to follow in his footsteps? And as we follow him, we want to invite people onto this journey with us. And there's a specific group of people, uh, a large, growing number of, of a group of people in our culture. Uh, uh, researchers call them the de-churched. And many of us have been there, where we have experienced God, church, religion, and it is, uh, we're not angry about it. We're not like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris angry. We are, this is bland. This is, I, I don't need this. This is irrelevant to my life. And there's a growing number of people in our culture who have experienced uh, religion or legalism or judgment. And it's just left a really foul taste in their mouth. I'm just going to keep talking. It's just a really foul, left a really foul taste in their mouth. Wow, that's really distracting. Oh, it's gone. All right. Oh, it's back. <laughs> Okay, well, if it comes on again, I'm just going to have to keep going. So that's who we want to invite onto the journey with us. Uh, anybody uh, who has experienced Christ, church, and they just kind of like, eh, don't need that. That's who we want to invite onto the journey with us because we think we're biased, but we think we're creating a culture and a community here that is attractive to people who have experienced like a shallow level of like legalism and religion in their lives. And as we follow Jesus and pursue him, there's this cloud of dust that kicks up on this mission and on this journey, and we call that our culture. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, our culture. So uh, three weeks ago, uh, we talked about inclusion. That is part of our culture. And I'm, I can't summarize the whole message, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Uh, but to summarize it, there are a lot of cheap, imitation, watered-down versions of inclusion on bumper stickers and on the lips of people in our culture. But when it comes to the actual practice of inclusion, it is, it's rare to see it. But we see it in the life of Christ. We think that he takes the, the practice and the culture of inclusion to heavenly heights. So he is our example of what it's like to be radically inclusive. And then another part of our culture is authentic community. You think about community, it sounds so benign, so harmless, but it really wasn't. There's a reason that the early Christians were um, murdered, tortured, persecuted. It wasn't because they were just going around wanting to be friends with everybody. What they were doing was rebelling against the relational status quo, against the Roman Empire. They were living in, a, in an anti-Caesar, anti-Empire way of life. That's why they were being attacked. So we try to be a community that constantly reorients ourselves around Jesus Christ. He is the center of who we are. A lot of times in our culture, we're being told to orient ourselves around less reliable fixed points, like race or political opinion or socioeconomic status. We have different tribes and silos and barriers and, and people groups that we try to join and we are, are taught and encouraged to point the finger at other groups to blame them for whatever problems occur in the world. But what authentic community is, is a rebellion against that. Like, nope, we're not going to live in silos and barriers and tribes. We're going to bring those walls down. That's what authentic community does. And when it actually happens, community revolving around Christ, it's wholly different and it's breathtakingly beautiful. And then we talked about justice last week. Um, 
To sum up justice, what's it like to have Christ-like justice as a part of our culture? Uh, we aren't involved in making laws, but we will use them and even break them when they conflict with the laws of our land uh, to deliver Christ-like justice. So justice is also at its most effective within relationship. A, per a perfect example of this is our friendship with immigrants and refugees. All right, Christ's kingdom has no borders. Amen. So when, it can, when our kingdom belief and our king's laws conflict with laws of whatever country it may be, we submit to a different king. We follow a different order. Justice looks different to us. So we're willing to put some things on the line that might stir it up a little bit. And justice happens when we are willing to do that. And today we talk about empowerment. So if you look at inclusion and authentic community and justice, uh, empowerment, there's kind of like a natural flow into empowerment. Because when you start including people and then living in community with them and becoming friends and family with them, and then introducing justice to both your life and their life, there's this flow into all your, your, a growing empowerment in the identity of Christ. So that's where we go today. And we can jump all over the Bible and look for different examples of empowerment, but really we're just going to settle on the cross. It is the perfect illustration um, of what biblical and what Christ-like empowerment looks like. And I'm going to use the words of Paul to describe the cross and the impact that it has on our theology and on our lives and the way we live them out. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Amen. We preach Christ crucified. That is where we are empowered, is at the cross. So Jesus on the cross is our source, our inspiration, and our method for empowerment. Amen. Paul pointed out the foolishness of such a claim. Like, I'm always a little leery of Christians who think they can make our faith sounds so neat and clean and logical. Some of it is. Some of it is crazy. Some of what we believe is weird. It's foolishness, mystical, mysterious. But we admit that. We put our cards on the table because we think there's beauty in the mystery of the cross and the power of the cross in pursuing that. Because uh, Paul pointed out the foolishness because in first century Roman world, you wouldn't even talk about uh, death on the cross. It was such a, it was prevalent, but it was so awful that people wouldn't, you wouldn't bring it, bring it up in polite company. It was shocking that this was the instrument that Jesus used to empower humanity. This execution device and this death of a first century rabbi was literally the most empowering act in human history. It's weird to think of an execution that way. So when we're not going to explore 
every angle of the crucifixion there, crucifixion, there is one that will allow us to form a Christ-like understanding of empowerment. So the power of sacrifice, of unconditional love, laying down your life for others type of love. That's what the cross was. That's what Jesus showed us. So I saw that example of, Jesus calls it, uh, or in scripture, the Greek word is agape, love. I, you know, unconditional, give up my life, lay down my life for others' love. I saw this firsthand last week in a really dire situation that Carrie and I were involved in. I can't go into a lot of detail, but what I saw occur was the disarming power of, uh, of unconditional love towards hatred and anger and bitterness. I saw that those come down while also the cross, like unconditional love serving as this type of miracle grow. It is this crazy antidote to hatred and to anger and to divide, but it also increases things like joy and peace and love and unity. It does both. It's entirely holistic. It decreases the power of evil and increases the power of us in Christ. It is miraculous Amen. when we actually believe in Christ crucified and live it out, seen it. So unfortunately, the cross has been sanitized in our culture. It's been, uh, its true power has been messed with. Uh, and I think we're particularly susceptible to this in a number of ways. So I'm going to try to name a few that I think I know I struggle with. I'm sure it's fairly prevalent in our culture in a communal way when it comes to understanding the empowerment of the cross. So the first issue that I think can be really problematic for us understanding the true nature uh, of the cross and the power that it brings is our position, where we stand, meaning our place in society. And I'm preaching to myself here because I'm an educated, white, American male. I am the living, breathing definition of privilege. So I have a position that most don't. Where I stand um, is, is on a much higher level than a, what a lot of people have been placed at. And so when I read scripture, when I look at the cross, I'm looking down at it in a lot of cases, which is problematic. I can't, I can't get an, actual, an accurate picture of the cross from a position of, from above because the cross is... Uh, uh, you know, an illustration of below. So Brian Zahn, one of my favorite pastors, explained it this way in, uh, in one of his blogs. I love the way he puts this. He says, I have a problem with the Bible. Here's my problem. I'm an ancient Egyptian. I'm a comfortable Babylonian. I'm a Roman in his villa. That's my problem. See, I'm trying to read the Bible for all it's worth, but I'm not a Hebrew slave suffering in Egypt. I'm not a conquered Judean deported to Babylon. I'm not a first century Jew living under Roman occupation. I'm a citizen of a superpower. I was born among the conquerors. I live in the empire. But what, what I want to read the Bible, and th but I want to read the Bible and think it's talking to me. This is a problem. What happens if those on top read themselves into the story, not as imperial Egyptians, Babylonians, and Romans, but as the Israelites? That's when you get the bizarre phenomenon of the elite and entitled using the Bible to endorse their dominance as God's will. Let me pause for a second. I saw one of the more disturbing examples of this yesterday. I have no idea how Fox News popped onto my Facebook feed, but it did. And I saw Mel Melania Trump. I don't even know if that's her name. Is that bad? I don't know her first name. The first lady reading the Lord's Prayer at a, a, a Trump rally. It could be any politician. 
But this one's particularly disturbing, I think. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, there is people with, with authority raping the Bible, raping Jesus' words and, and taking them for themselves. That just, it really shocks me. It's a perfect example of what Brian is talking about here. That is not where we can read Scripture from. That is not where we're designed to look at it from. So let me continue. This is Roman Christianity after Constantine. This is Christendom on crusade. This is colonists seeing America as their promised land and the native inhabitants as Canaanites to be conquered. This is the whole history of European colonialism. This is Jim Crow. This is the American prosperity gospel. This is the domestication of Scripture. So when we look at Scripture and the cross from an elevated position, it's going to cause us to, or give us a distorted view of the meaning and the power of it. So we have to understand the power in losing our power, of giving it away, of stepping down off the pedestal, of willingly and freely giving away what we've been given, of releasing control. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He released control. He gave himself away. This is our method of empowerment, both for ourselves and for other people. We would be at our best as humans to give control over our place and our privilege away. That is when empowerment really happens. And that may freak some of us out. This might strike some fear in many of us, like the rich young man in Scripture, when Jesus encounters this rich young man who lists off all these things he's done, and Jesus is like, that's great. Here's what I want you to do next. I want you to sell everything and give all of your possessions away to the poor. And the, the rich young man was so blown away by this request that he walked away from Christ, disappointed because he, was, because he refused to give up his position, his privilege, his authority. But there is great power in giving that away, in imitating the example of Christ. And I saw another video uh, from a friend of mine named Watson Jones. He's a pastor in our network in Philadelphia. He showed this video, and this one is inspirational. So here's an example. We're going to watch an example of what it looks like to give privilege away and to give power away. My sister-in-law, uh, who's half black, half white, but looks white, blue eyes, whiter than most white folks, very white. Uh, she and I, you know, we kind of grew up together. We raised our children together. Uh, so they're first cousins. And we, you know, it's a wonderful, very, very multicultural family. So we're going in a safe way one day. And uh, Kathleen, my, my sister-in-law, is in front of me. And she's, uh, you know, writing a check for her groceries. Now, my daughter, who at the time was 10 years old, was standing with me, and I was directly behind her, you know, getting ready to get my groceries. So Kathleen comes up, and the checker, who is a strawberry blonde, um, freckled, very delightful, warm, um, you know, the checker, this young woman, is talking to Kathleen. Hey, how you doing? Isn't it a nice day today? They're just chatting up. And she says, yeah, so Kathy writes her, her check, and she steps off to the side with her groceries because she's waiting for me. Of course, again, Kathleen looks white, right? So I come up. No conversation. She looks up at me. Absolutely no, just little chatter. And uh, I write my check. My daughter, however, is 10, notices immediately the difference in how she responds to me. So I write my check, and she goes, I'm going to need two pieces of ID. At which point, my daughter looks at me. And she gets very, very embarrassed, and tears are, are, are kind of coming up in her eye, like, Mommy, you're not going to 
you're not going to let her do this. Why is she doing this to us, right? So I'm trying to figure out what I should do, because behind me are two elderly white women, right? And I'm thinking, okay, so then I become the angry black woman, right? And they're going to be, and I just, I'm, I'm just trying to second guess all the drama. So then I, I just give her the two pieces of ID. I said, you know, some things you've got to choose your battles, right? And then it gets worse. She pulls out the bad check book, right? So the, this is a book that shows the people who have written bad checks. So she starts searching for my license in the bad checks, at which point it's just out of control now. Just as I'm standing there um, trying to decide what to do, and it's really deeply humiliating, now my, my daughter is in full-blown emotionally upset, who's 10, my sister-in-law walks back over. And she steps in and she says, excuse me, why are you doing this? And the checker goes, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? She goes, why are you taking her through all of these changes? Why are you doing that? She goes, well, um, this is our policy. She goes, no, it's not your policy because you didn't do that with me. Oh, well, I know you, you've been. She goes, no, no, she's been here for years. I've only lived here for three months. And so at this point, the two white elderly ladies go, oh, I can't believe what this checker has done with this woman. It is totally unacceptable. At which point, the manager walks over. So the manager walks over and says, is there a problem here? And then my sister-in-law again responds. She goes, yes, there is a problem here. Here is what happened. So you see, she used her white privilege. And even though Kathleen is half black and half white, she recognizes what that means. And she made the statement. She pointed out the injustice. And she, as a result of that one act, influenced everyone in that space. But what would have happened? I can't know for certain had the black woman said, this is unfair. Why are you doing this to me? Would it have had the same impact? But Kathleen knew that she walked through the world differently than I did. And she used her white privilege to educate and make right a situation that was wrong. That's what you can do every single day. I love that story. So simple, so powerful. Give away your time, your pride, your fear, your power in order to empower others. Whatever platform, position, or privilege we have, we are called to give it away. And it is both a, it is both a blessing to ourselves and to other people. It is the antithesis of how power works in our world, where we're, we're taught and pushed to grasp for control and authority. Jesus is like, just give it away. It's how you change the world. It's how you change when you imitate me. It's the foolishness of the cross. Um, watching that reminded me of a missed opportunity, something that haunts me. Uh, some of you guys know I, I work, a lot of times I'll work in coffee shops or, or uh, public places, and I'm, I enjoy eavesdropping, guilty. Uh, it's, I'm always amazed at what people will say within the earshot of other people, you know, people they don't know. And one, one particular day, I was, this is like two or three years ago, I'm sitting in La Madeline, just a couple blocks away, working, and there's a group of four people uh, who are, I'm not sure if they're coworkers, but they, they, they're having a business meeting. And there are, I know there's one woman and three men, and there's one guy that is older than the rest of them, uh, and, the, and there's two other guys that are probably my age. And... I was listening to some of their conversation because they were talking loud, and I was taken aback at one of the gentlemen started talking in a really sexist manner to the woman, um, in, in which it was just little stuff, though. It was, he kept calling her sweetie, and it was like, I was like twitching every time I would hear him 
Because I was imagining, like, if I called, if I did that to my wife, if I talked to my wife, my teammate like that, oh, man, she, it wouldn't be, it, it, it's belittling. It was demeaning. And I could tell, and I was, like, starting to stare and look to see how this woman was responding. Like, I kept waiting for the other two guys, like, are they going to say something? Because this is, it's just little, but I was picking up on it. Like, this is not okay, the way that he, he was talking to her completely differently than he was talking to the men. And I like to think of myself as a squeaky wheel for women's rights, uh, particularly in our denomination, because we have a pretty conservative group, and I like to annoy everybody by talking about women's rights and, and promoting women's empowerment within the church. And we'll continue to do that. But I missed an opportunity. I didn't say anything that day. I did not. And usually, I love to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, I could just pull up my chair and say, look, you don't know me, but I'm going to tell you something. I better not hear that word again. When I, like, that's what I wanted to say, but I didn't say it. And now I'm, ha- like, seeing that video, I'm haunted by that missed opportunity of there were three people there, and there were other people that would have heard me confront it. And what type of seed would that plant that would be watered and may grow when we simply respond to a little seemingly insignificant moment to give our privilege away, to empower someone, to uh, stand up for someone who is being belittled or marginalized. And I'm like, ugh, it makes me sick just talking about it. Uh, But that's what we're called to do is to just use our privilege by giving it away, giving our power away. That's one Uh, way that we can recognize the the true nature and power of the cross. Another example that I thought of that that, um, can sanitize and demean the meaning and domesticate uh, the the cross is consumerism. So I'm going to read a couple statements, so follow me on this. The cross is about giving away, Jesus says, losing your life and receiving empowerment from Jesus. Consumerism is about taking improving your life, and using, empowering yourself. Do you see the differences there? We're taught, we live in a, in a, a very individualistic, consumeristic, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of a culture. So we gravitate, even Christians gravitate towards a consumeristic Christianity. But it, it really domesticates the power of the cross. So I spent a long time writing down specific examples of consumer Christianity we would run out of time. I can get on that soapbox with the best of them. We don't need that. We don't need cynicism. We need, okay, what's it look like for me to personalize this and be aware of maybe some consumeristic tendencies I have? So when you approach a church community or Christ, Scripture, your, your fellow believers or anybody, if you're asking yourself questions like, what's in it for me? Does this scratch my itch? Does this fit my agenda? Does this serve my family and my kids? You see how everything is about me, I, we, us? If you start with yourself, you will end with yourself. A lot of the times I get emails from people who want to know more about our church, and I'm always amazed that Jesus is never mentioned. It's always, do you fit my agenda? Do you fit what I'm looking for? And I always write back, like, in a gently, gentle way, I've got some great churches I would recommend like, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't think we're the church for you. Because I'm telling you, if you have any, and I, I'm a consumer too, uh, but we are not a, we, we are part of our culture to not be a consumeristic church. So instead, ask yourself questions like, am I learning and experiencing Jesus Christ? Is my family learning and experiencing 
Jesus Christ. Because if you start with Jesus, you will end with Jesus. There's a, a, a subtle but powerful difference in the way that we approach faith in Christ, in Scripture. Um, so you know, how, like, so for example, um, you know how old you have to be to go serve Syrian refugees, either here or in Athens? There's no age minimum. You can go. Take your kids. Carrie's got this dream of wanting to take our kids within the next year to serve Syrian refugees. Because for us, it's not about like programs and what our kids take in. It's about learning and experiencing Jesus. That's what I believe. I'm, I was a high school English teacher. I was a children's pastor. I was a youth pastor. I've read all the research. Without quoting it all, I can tell you that programming has nothing to do with kids keeping their faith. The first factor is, does their dad practice his faith? Second factor, does, do they have a mom that practices her faith? And the third one is, do they see their parents living their faith out? If you want your kids to grow up loving Christ, work on those three things. Work on the things you control. Programming has nothing to do with it. I've, I grew up in megachurch. I was on staff at megachurch. See, I could go on and on. I could get on that soapbox. Um, it's not what, when you start with yourself, you end with yourself. Start with Jesus, you end with Jesus. So make Jesus the point, not yourself. The foolishness of the cross, the power, is that when we lose our lives for him, we become empowered. And when we become empowered, we have the opportunity to empower anyone else that crosses our path. Because we aren't thinking of ourselves. We are thinking of Jesus. And those moments like in La Madeline or in the grocery store, we're going to start becoming more aware of, the, of those moments. Because mission, empowering others... It's not like an obvious situation. You have to be really in tune with the opportunity. Like, it's, it's going to be small. It's going to be seemingly insignificant. But that's where, that's where the foolishness of the cross steps in. It can change the life of, of yourself and other people. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's what empowerment looks like in our church. Like we're talking about our church culture. This is the way we try to live it out. So we have four kind of cultural practices uh, in our church. So we have Sunday mornings today. This is where we hear about Jesus. We are all about him. We talk all about his stories and his words and his actions on Sunday mornings. Missional communities is where we learn to live like Jesus. You hear about Jesus on Sunday, you learn to live like him in what's called oikos, like this Acts 2 family, like where you're becoming friends and connected and learning how to love one another and pray for one another and learn with one another and challenge each other, serve with one another. That is where you learn how to ride the bike uh, that Jesus rode, so to speak. Huddle, discipleship huddle, this is where we learn to hear from Jesus. God is speaking to each one of you all the time, but most of us aren't in tune with him enough to recognize his voice. And this is what we try to teach in Huddle. Is it's not a controlling atmosphere where we, where we tell people what to do. It is we reveal this is how you can recognize when God is trying to say something to you. And when you do that in somebody's life, there is no control, which is the way it should be. They should be running wild with the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And then mission is where we lose our lives for Christ. Sunday, where we hear MCs are where we learn to live like. Huddle is where we hear from Jesus. And mission is where we lose our lives for Jesus.
Now, losing your life for Christ, that could be in less foes than a few weeks for you guys that are going on, a, on this mission trip to serve refugees. Or it could be in your cubicle at work. Mission happens everywhere. It's called Missio Day. Every single second of the day is redeemable for, for beauty and empowerment of yourself and other people. It's just being aware of that. And it causes, and yeah, it's going to cost you. Be ready. Because to be empowered, you have to lose stuff like your pride and your ego. You have to be willing to be embarrassed. I have a long list of humiliating moments of incredible awkwardness of walking into really awkward situations because when you're willing to give away your pride and your ego and your power and your privilege, it is going to cost you, all right? It starts with maybe little things like praying for someone. You praying for, like, actually with them? You want to get over some fear and some pride and some ego? Pray with another person. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are agnostics and atheists. Never once have I been denied hey, can I pray with you? No one's ever said no to me. Maybe they're just afraid to say no because it's weird. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I've walked into so many awkward situations because when you start thinking about Jesus first, you never know where he's going to take you and what he's going to bring you into. Uh, and you've got to be ready for those. So to conclude here, how do we prepare ourselves for those moments of empowerment, to give empowerment? One, I would encourage you to consider your next step in the cultural pathway of Restore Church. If you're just connected on Sunday mornings, the clock's ticking on your connection to our community. This is not going to just do it for you. All right, maybe it's to get to throw yourself into missional community. Or if you've been in missional community for a while, that's kind of how our discipleship puddle is going to work. We're getting ready to launch uh, some new discipleship puddles within our missional communities. You've got to be involved. You have to know people. You have to be in relationship with people in order for you to be discipled. That's the way Jesus did it, so we're trying to imitate that. Or maybe it's mission. Maybe it's uh, serving in our community when we have community opportunity. Or maybe it's flying to Athens or Lesbos the next time we have a trip, which is probably going to be October or November. And yeah, it's expensive, and you've got to give some time up, some vacation, all that. But consider your next step on the pathway. And then also, individually... Uh, I would, and this is an an area where I've been weak lately, and I've noticed it, is uh, scripture and prayer every day. Like when you fill yourself with the words of God and you're connected to him through prayer, you're going to become more and increasingly aware of empowerment opportunities. When you're all about you, you're kind of focused on your agenda for the day. But when you're about Christ, your eyes are open, your head is up. You see and hear and feel opportunity more often. So I would encourage you to find a rhythm of Bible study and prayer, whatever that looks like. If it's at night, if it's in the morning, uh, there's so many. I could give you examples. Google Bible reading plans. You're going to find a million of them. Or, or prayer plans. There's, there's tons of them out there. Uh, but that, that's where we're going to be empowered and be aware of how to empower others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the cross. It is uh, the